a lot of times we try to do everything and we can't do everything well. And so relying on each other to really work together and provide those families the best experience we can is what we're trying to do. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how we keep up. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Whisker Talks. I'm Adam Greenbaum, CEO and founder of Whisker Cloud. Today, I have Tyler Carmack on. She's from IHPC and Hampton Roads Veterinary Hospice and Integrative Medicine. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to chat with you because of you do a lot of stuff. You've got an insane life. You just had a baby. Your yeah. life's crazy. And 12 weeks after having a baby, you're talking to us. Yeah, we're celebrating. I know. Well, and just for everyone out there listening, you know, we work with you with IAHPC, which is the International Association for Animal Hospice and I say this word, say the word. I'm sorry. That's okay. Palliative care. Palliative care. I say it wrong every time. You know, I practiced it three times and I'm like, when we're recording and you know, we have editors, I'm not even going to edit it out. I think it's funny because everyone at Whisker Cloud knows I say it wrong every single time. IAHPC is a tongue twister in itself. So yeah, you're the past president of IAHPC. Yeah, I got to be president through 2020. So you led the group through the weirdest year of ever of civilization. Yeah. yeah. And you also have Hampton Roads Veterinary Hospice Integrative Medicine, amazing website, amazing brand. You guys, I mean, you guys do what I wish every clinic would do, whether you're brick and mortar, whether you're mobile, no matter what you do, you know, even on your team page, the caricatures of, you know, of you guys. I mean, that's, those are the things that I want everyone to do. I wish more people said, this is our brand. We want to showcase it that way. Right. I'll link to that in the show notes so everyone can see it. But before we jump in and talk about a million different things, I have to ask your veterinary origin story. Everyone knows I love Marvel. And and I always ask, gamma bomb drops. You get a little radiation. You turn to the Hulk. How did you get into vet med? Yeah, I mean, so I've listened to the podcast and it seems like a lot of us decided when we were about six that we wanted to be (laughs) veterinarians. And that is my story too. So I just never changed my mind, worked towards that in in high school and, and college. And then went. I went to NC State for undergrad and, and stayed on for vet school, thinking I was going to be sort of in the, the wildlife conservation, zoological medicine realm. So took a few twists and turns to get um, back home to Virginia Beach and, and starting Hampton Roads Veterinary Hospice. But it's been a, an interesting journey. I did uh, a rotating small animal internship in DC at Friendship Hospital for Animals. I worked emergency down in South Florida for a little while. I did an ophthalmology internship up on Long Island um, and then came back home. So I dabbled in, in quite a bit before I found my, my true place in veterinary medicine. Now, I was going to ask you about that, talking about your degree from NC State. I'm an animal lover and I have a real issue with zoos and, you know, and I know that you've, you worked with dolphins in Mexico and elephants in Thailand and and animals in South Africa. Am I off base as an animal lover and someone that's in vet med? Am I off base to have issues with zoos? You know, and again, I, I kind of, in my brain, we're in Newport beach, California. I'm sort of (laughs) grouping together like SeaWorld and, the San Diego zoo. And in my mind, they're very similar. And in my mind, I really, really, really hate both. Is that a bad outlook to have? 
No, I mean, I think it, I think it totally depends. I mean, I think everybody could, could argue in a, in a perfect world, these animals have their natural habitat and we hadn't done anything ever to, to encroach upon that. But I think we also have to look at the good that those organizations do and the education that they provide. Um, SeaWorld runs a multi-million dollar you know, rescue and rehab program for marine mammals when oil spills happen, when our biotoxins are are polluting their waters. There's, I think there's a trade-off for, for everything. And from what I know in, in studying, you know, the zoo medicine field for, for a while, everyone that I encountered taking care of those animals were doing amazing work and trying the best they can. And and even now, you know, overlapping into, into the hospice and palliative care, I mean, more and more of those organizations are starting to look at end of life for the, for those animals. And it really is just a matter of what, you know, what can we do to keep those animals as, as happy as they are? And, you know, how can we help impact their world so that their fellow lions and tigers and bears, you know, are are doing well out in the wild where we want them to be. And there is a huge spectrum of zoos and aquariums, right? So I think we've come a long way in the last 10 to 20 years and in making sure that those organizations are working towards that and are not just capitalizing off of uh, those animals. Okay. And I, you know, I bring that up years ago, I went to Georgia to visit a chimpanzee sanctuary that we had donated to, and they invited me down to come meet their vets. And we had a, a great visit with them while we were in Atlanta. It was my first time there. My wife and I went to the Atlanta aquarium, which is gigantic and, sure. and, and yeah, pretty amazing. And, and I emailed and said, Hey, you know, I'm the owner of whisker cloud. Not that anyone, at uh, the Atlanta <laughs> gives a shit, but the owner of Whisker Club, I'd love to meet the vets and, and yeah. walk around and ask questions. And they, and they let my wife and I do this tour and, and we walk through where all the vets work there. And I was probably being pretty annoying, asking a lot of questions about the animals and, you know, I said, you know, are they going crazy? It, you know, and, yeah. and I was fine and I felt good about it. And then something happened. We, they took us into the whale shark pool Mm -hmm. and you know these whale sharks are 40 feet long and there's four of them and you know when you're standing in that room in the pool it's about maybe 80 yards it's not a full football field but it's about 80 yards and and they were like look how much space this is and and i sat there and i i was talking to them i'm like i gotta tell you something i'm sitting here watching this i feel sick to my stomach and they they were probably like get this guy the hell out of here why the hell do we agree to this don't if anyone here knows any vets tell them that the guy from whisker clouds nuts don't ever talk to them but i was like there's four of them in this thing there's no way this is big enough so yeah anyway so anyway i'm glad all the listeners out there like oh we want to get to know tyler but we got to hear three and a half minutes of adam's like weird conspiracy theories no i mean i think it's good because the the folks that have those concerns are pushing for zoos and, and aquariums to do better and i think we can always do better yeah and, and again, I'm an animal lover. I mean, that's why you're in vet med. That's why, I mean, that's why I'm in vet med. You know, as sure. I've said on the podcast 20 times, I could do websites for any any profession yeah. on the planet. We do them for vets and only vets because I really only care about animals. And Marvel, if you're out there, I'll do your website <laughs> for free anytime. Let me know. So on that weird note, let's talk about IAAHPC. Sure. Because it's a really interesting organization. And it's something where I think 
I mean, I bring you guys up a lot when I'm talking to vets and, you know, I meet mobile vets that do in-home euthanasia and things like that. And I always say, oh, are you familiar with IHPC? And I'm shocked when they're not. I'm like, oh, you got to go to their site right now. You got to join. If you need an intro, let me know. So can you kind of talk about what the organization is and what you guys do for anyone that's not aware? Sure. So the, the IHPC is really interesting for me, especially because it's an interdisciplinary group. So we have certainly the the veterinarians and the veterinary technicians that make up the majority of our members, but we also have really anybody that wants to be involved in a in a hospice and palliative care team. So we have veterinary social workers, we have you know groomers and and general pet sitters, anybody that has an interest in in helping make the end of life journey for our pets better um, has a place in in the IHPC. And we have, they're founded in 2009 and and have steadily grown over the, the past decade to really, I think we're at about 400, maybe 500 members now and really have seen just the the blossoming of this field within veterinary medicine. And so um, we have a ton of folks who who find us for the first time as they sort of start down this, this path. We have amazing hospice and palliative care certification program that really goes through everything from communication skills to really in-depth pain management and, and logistics of a lot of at-home care and through all the way to, you know, euthanasia techniques and, and aftercare and, and memorialization and, and ritualization. So it really covers, you know, everything that families are looking for during that, that end of life journey. We have conferences each year. We obviously had to pivot to a virtual conference last year, but we're back in person this year. We're going to be in Tampa in September and then really just tons of, of educational and networking opportunities for folks who have practices like this all over the country, but also all over the world. We have members from the UK, from Australia. We have, you know, country reps. I think we're up to nine or 10 different countries that have veterinarians that are are kind of the hub in, in their country from Germany to all over the world. I love the organization and it's interesting. And I, and I ask a lot of the uh, questions that are very similar in every episode. And, you know, it, it always comes back to like everyone comes on the episode and they're like, vets don't understand business or marketing. We're never <laughs> taught that. But are you ever actually taught how to be prepared for this situation and, and how to be there for a pet parent who is, you know, getting ready to say goodbye. And I, and as I've said on this podcast many times, I've never dealt with death as, as an adult man, married everything. I had an uncle die when I was like six, wasn't super close to them. I don't have grandparents, but I, they weren't really around in my life. So I've lost one pet in my entire life. Sure. It was a cat that was 15. It was pretty heartbreaking. This was back in 2009. I mean, it really hit me hard. And now I have two dogs that have been with me since they were both puppies. And in fact, we're recording this. Sophie turns 11 tomorrow and I have nightmares at least every other week about her passing away. And, and I just had her blood work done. They said she's she's as healthy as an 11-year-old Boston Terrier can be. Her weight's good. Her teeth look good. You know, they said you clearly take great care of her. She's on the right, you know, the right supplements, the right food. We do all the right stuff. We, you know, we do dental cleanings annually. So I do everything. And I'm, I'm so not prepared for this. And I hope to God, seriously, I hope this is five, six years away because 
I will be out of commission. I mean, the whole company knows like no one's going to talk to me for a week. I mean, yeah. customers, I don't care. I'll be, I will be out of, how do you even begin to prepare with someone who's as psychotic as I just made myself sound on this podcast <laughs> live? No, I mean, I think it's, I think it's very common. I, I think as people are, are living longer and longer, I mean, I, so I turned 40 this year and I lost all four of my grandparents in the last 12 months. So to, to make it, you know, that far and, and not, have lost a lot is sort of a, a new thing. And so we, we come across a lot of families who, who do not have a lot of experience with death and, and have not had to, to navigate end of life issues and caregiving before. And so that, that can be really, really hard. You know, we, I graduated from NC state in 2007 and, and we definitely didn't learn any of this in, in school. I think that is, is changing. The IHPC actually has the first module of our certification is used at UPenn and is, is starting to be used at a couple of different veterinary schools as an elective course for the students to, to really dive into this a little bit more before they're just tossed out into, into practice, because it is something that we want and need to do really well, and, and we don't have the training <laughs> to do that. And, you know, most people, when you ask, you know, why did you want to be a veterinarian, the, the answer is generally, I I don't like people. I like animals. I like, I don't like people. Aren't people the worst? <laughs> they can be, <laughs> <laughs> but to see the human animal bond is, is really amazing. And so you really have to through end of life, navigate the, the family unit together and, and help guide them. And so there are, for myself, it was just diving in. There are books out there. There are some webinars and training, but really getting involved with the IHPC early early when I, I started the practice in 2011. So they were they were just sort of coming around and, and starting to have conferences when I jumped in. And, and it was extraordinarily helpful to be able to go and, and focus on this for, you know, three or four days and, and talk to the people who are, are doing this really, really well and, and get advice from them and, and then bring that back to the, my practice. Wow. And I've said this before on this podcast, when someone's having a bad day here and they're like, man, that vet just sent an email that was so rude. I'm like, well, I'm not cool with it, but I got to tell you, you know, and I've spent days in the hospital and it's just like, it's unbelievable the, you know, when you have to say goodbye, you know, um, not too long ago, my in-laws said goodbye to their cat that they had for a long time. And my wife and I were there with them and, and they had someone come to the house and do it. And I think the thing that I struggle with as a pet owner that, is I guess I still haven't grasped yet as someone who's not good with dealing with death. Clearly it's, there's going to be a day where my animal's life ends and it's, this is going to sound weird, but my, their life ends because I made the call that it ends that day. And, and as screwed up as that is in my head, it's better than the alternative of holy shit, something crazy just happened and they're gone, but it still feels weird either way. So this, I'm, I really don't want this whole podcast <laughs> to be like, man, this guy's really got issues with his dogs. He better have a chat with the team over there. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what I struggle with. And I, I, is that, I mean, what is the number one thing that pet owners struggle with that you guys have to really coach them through? Is it that aspect of it? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, each family is, is sort of unique. And there's so much that goes into to something like that. I mean, there's cultural beliefs, there's religious beliefs, there's, 
you know, every experience with every pet they've ever had before. Have they had to euthanize a pet before and it gone terribly wrong? Have they had to really care give intensely for a pet that they didn't want to euthanize? And that ended in an emergency that that was traumatizing. There's a lot to unpack. And and even just thinking about it ahead of time, you're you're ahead of a lot of folks who just don't think about it. And you know, they'll, they'll start the sentence with, if I ever need you, if my pet is ever sick, if somebody ever dies, like it's going to happen. And so knowing what your options are, knowing that you, you know, have the option to be at home and, and to start hospice and palliative care early. I mean, I think that's one of the key things that, that we try to impress upon people is that, you know, making the phone call to us for a hospice and, and palliative care visit is not, the start of the end. It's it's continuing that level of care and, and love that you've given them through every other life stage. And how can we make their life the very best up until their very last moments? And then make those last moments the best. It really, it can be a beautiful thing. Certainly what you described, the, the anxiety and, you know, guilt around a life or death decision is a pretty popular concern. I think you're right. When you when you look at their whole lives, we are responsible for everything for them. You know, we decide when they eat, we decide when they go for a walk and go out to the bathroom and, and where they live their life. This is, this is just one of the responsibilities that comes with having a pet and loving them so much. That's what makes this so hard is that, you know, you have to make a decision that's in their best interest, even though it's going to break your own heart. And so it's a really selfless, stage of of being a, a pet family and a pet owner and you know it's it's like our customers that are IAHPC members like I've, I've had the same conversation with a lot of them I'm like how do you do it and it's just so interesting to them like you know Sharif Yusana and I talk about that mm-hmm. all the time and like for her I'm like I'll talk to her I'm like how was your day she's like ah oh, put six animals down I'm like oh yeah. okay that's it yeah <laughs> oh that's fine it's like oh yeah we, we you know we built six websites at Whisker Cloud today we did that it's like yeah. just so different but we say it the same way it's life's weird. And I think it's, you know, I, I, I probably could count on one hand, the number of homes that I've gone into that the family doesn't say something like that. Like, I don't know how you do this. I don't, I, I couldn't do this every day or your, your job is so depressing. And it, it's just, I think being there and being able to guide families through such a tough time is really gratifying. And, and really, I walk away from, from appointments knowing that I've helped the pet, obviously, but but also their families make the the right decision and and minimize any guilt or or any any regrets that they you know potentially would have or, around that that time frame and and I also think we we can by embracing hospice and, and palliative care practices we can improve the the stress levels and and quality of life for those in in general practices too. I mean we. We do this really well. And so it's hard to do it really well in, in a clinic. You know, people do the best they can and, and they can do a wonderful technical job and, and be as compassionate as you can be. But I, I just don't think it it beats being at home on your couch or in your backyard in the sun. And so the those euthanasias that wear on clinics and clinic staff, uh, you know, getting them getting them out of, of the clinic, I think can help with with compassion fatigue and and some of the stress that that general practices feel 
You know, it's funny. It's like we talk about that a lot here because we I mean, we run ads for a lot of hospitals that do mm-hmm. euthanasia there. And and to be honest, I mean, we're here to help them. And if that's what they offer, we want to we want to help them succeed at it. But yeah, personally, I can't imagine with my own pets that I wouldn't want them at home where they're comfortable, where, you know, where they're, it's not like, I don't want their last minutes to be this chaotic. And I know so many hospitals do such a wonderful job. They've got quiet rooms. They do amazing. My former vet in Denver, my wife and I, we weren't married at the time, but she was putting her cat down and and I was there and they did such a great job and it was great, but it was still this, it was this, it was the most awkward thing. We're like in there with Bijou, you know, we say goodbye. You have this horrible moment. Dr. McGuire and my wife and I were all crying together. And then you just sort of get up and they, they said, just go out the side door. Don't walk through the lobby. We we're not going to charge you. We'll send you an invoice. Just go, you know, go relax, mm-hmm. go be home. And it was just like, but it still felt weird. It's like, okay, we drove there with her and then we just left and you know, okay, we'll, we'll get her ashes in four weeks. And again, they did everything by the book, but it just, it felt weird. And yeah, the cat I was talking about earlier that I had for 15 years that I lost yeah, I was young when, when he passed. I mean, this was 2009 and, uh, I was a young guy and I didn't know. I, I really didn't know. I, I had no idea what to do. I went to Banfield at a pet smart by my house. It was this, it, when I think back to that day, it's like, Oh, it's like a tornado in my head. It's like a, one of those like creepy cutbacks from like a saw movie where you just oh, see like, no. like chaos and yeah. it's just like, and then, you know, you go there with him and he was gone, you know, in, in Banfield, you know, I was, a I, I wasn't a kid, but I was young and I was sure. living on my own and they're like, you know, it's, it's $400. You're like, okay, do you want the ashes? It's two I'm like, I, I can't really do that. So like, you know, I don't know if I would have wanted them if I would have had them, but it, it just moves so quick for one second. We're at home the next second I'm there. And the doctor's like, it's his time. Today's the yeah. day. And yeah. So it's a tough, and this kind of ties into something you had said in your in the survey we sent you before this podcast about least favorite thing about vet med. We also asked the best thing about vet med. Everyone listening, but I always like asking the least favorite thing because that's typically the good topic. Every, everyone knows the best things. That's everyone listening knows the best shit. Sure. It's like <laughs> yeah, we get to help people and animals. So. But you said something that not a lot of people have said. Client expectations are at an all-time high. It often feels like a nearly impossible standard that we're trying to meet, and it's rising all the time. And I'm going to tell you something before we jump into this. It is no different at Whisker Cloud, and it's something that we internally, we discuss so often. It's people, we get more, oh my God, can you please help us with this? And it's like Mm -hmm. 7 p.m., and we'll get like four (laughs) emails in a row from someone. And tip, again, if you're out there listening, you've sent that email. No one's judging you here, I promise. But <laughs> I might have sent one. Well, no, but like, you know, sometimes we'll get like five or six of those in a yeah. row. Sometimes, and then like I'll get a text to my cell phone that's like, I just emailed the support teams, no one answering. Can you help? I'm like, yeah, no shit. It's 927 yeah. p.m. Of course, no one's there. They're sleeping <laughs> right. or something. So, but I'm with you. It's in so I'm gonna ask you this. So client expectations are at an all-time high. I can sense that with every vet I talk to. I can sense that in the reviews our teams manage because the reviews are becoming more and more chaotic and insane. But yeah. So what do you do if the client expectations continue to grow? Because like most fortune 500 companies typically bend to the need of their customers. Let's extend our hours. Let's hire more support people. That's what we've done. We've hired more support people. And I'm like, okay, now no one has to wait very long for anything at all. But we still get that, you know, Sunday at 3 a.m. Pacific time email. And they're like, this needs to be up by 7 a.m. You know, the doctor yeah. asked me to email you guys last week. I didn't do it. If this doesn't go up, I'm going to get fired. Can someone help me? And, oh, and I'm lucky I've got a couple superstars here that will like 
monitor it and check on it at 6am on a Sunday. But how do you deal with some of these client expectations as a vet? Well, I think I think it's hard. I think, you know, some of that is just the world we live in right now is just so fast that that people do expect expect things to be done in in an instant. And, and I think part of it is that pets are more and more part of the family. And so as, as care for for people, which has its obviously its own issues, but you know, is advancing and advancing a lot of that translates into to veterinary medicine too. And so I think some of those expectations are, are obviously not, uh, not realistic, but I think some of it too is, is just relying on each other and, you know, for a, a clinic to be trying to, to create the same experience that families have with us at home by their pool in their, in their clinic is just not going to happen. And so, yes, max out everything you can do to, to do, to do those well, but don't be afraid to, to refer if, if you're, clients can get a better experience and the experience that they're looking for somewhere else, they're going to be so appreciative of you for making that connection and, you know, giving them a path that I think a lot of times we try to do everything and we can't do everything well. And so relying on each other to really work together and provide those families the best experience we can is what we're trying to do. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how we keep up. And, you know, the thing I always tell everyone is use technology. I mean, this is literally why Whisper Cloud exists. And and I can't tell you the amount of hospitals we work with or the vets that I personally deal with for my pets. And it's really all over the place. I mean, we recently moved um, pretty far from our old vet. So, you know, we went to a new vet. It's tough to do that because we're really close with ours, but it's Mm -hmm. such a far drive. You know, our our lives are a little bit tough with the pandemic and we just, we had to do what was best for them and we have to be able to work within our business hours. So went to a new vet. They're great. You know, their site, it's not whisker cloud. So what does everyone listening (laughs) expect me to say? It was, it was horrible dumpster fire and I hated it. Anyway, on that note, I thought what was interesting is when I first spoke to them and I was having this conversation with them they did a great job. They were so nice on the phone and they're in, they're asking a bunch of questions on the phone. And, and I said, you know, do you want me to just fill this out online or something? And they said, Oh no, that's okay. We like doing this over the phone. And I said, well, you have a new client form on your site. And they're like, Oh, it's not up to date. And I'm thinking like, you're busy. I I'm in all the Facebook groups, the receptionists, the practice managers, they're miserable all the time. Slammed. And you want to sit on the phone with me and walk through two Boston Terrier, a nine-year-old and 11-year-old. You want to walk through their age, their weight, their colors, their food, their what medications they take. Like You want to do this for 20 minutes when, right. when you can hang up the phone and have someone do it for you. It's really crazy. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the client expectations, it's the same thing. We started doing this inspiration series at Whistler Cloud where we were like, why your website should have an emergency page, why your website should have a link tree page for Instagram, why your website should have an FAQ page. And really we keep coming up with these ideas because customers email us about things that they're like struggling with to adapt to that's causing them issues in the hospital. And we're like, can't we just fix that on a website? So, you know, if you're a brick and mortar hospital, why would not have an, Hey, these are the emergency pay emergency clinics we work with after hours, call them Mm -hmm. between nine to six. You can call us, 
call ahead. This is the procedure, what you need to do or looking for, you know, looking for euthanasia. We offer this. However, we also partner with this amazing company or this amazing person who will come to your home and do it. So yeah, I, I guess why don't more vets want to take some of these things off their plate and create automation for themselves? I mean, and I guess I'm asking you both as someone who's the medical director at your business and someone who mentors a lot of people, IAHPC. You see how that is like, <laughs> but anyway, it's uh, a few thousand more times and it'll roll yeah. right off. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, is it scary to think about creating the automation? You know, what is it that causes people to sort of say, mm, I still trust my receptionist on the phone for 23 minutes talking to Adam? I mean, you know, a lot of, I don't know if you've gotten the vibe that we have a lot of type A control freaks in our, in our midst, but I, 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 I know. Um, I will raise my hand and admit that for sure. I think a lot of it is that, and, and a lot is, is, you know, not necessarily knowing how to automate, which is, I mean, Whisker Cloud has, has been great. We certainly had, you know, forms on our website, but when, when the pandemic started, I mean, it was great to be able to switch over, you know, and, and do almost everything online to cut down our, our time in homes. We, we never stopped going into homes, but, but we had a lot more precautions and, and tried to do a, a lot less of the paperwork and, and things in the homes. So, I, you know, I think I think it's just a, a combination of of all of those things, and so not being quite as as familiar with with the tech stuff, and and, and there's nobody likes change, fear of change, <laughs> such a huge <laughs> such a huge barrier, right? I'm obsessed with change. I'm always like, let's update this, let's do this. We're moving to yeah. a new phone system. Everyone here is like. Didn't we just do that? I'm like, yeah, but yeah. this one, this one attaches to our CRM. So now it'll automatically log our calls. So I, yeah, I mean, I, I go through that stuff all the time. I'm like, I, all I want to do both personally and professionally is consolidate every single part of my entire life to right. move faster, smoother, less things, more quickness. I mean, that's all I care about ever. Do not have a toddler in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I like how you sort of like whisper that you're like, hey, yeah. dude, do not, do no, not. I feel like I am the same way, but my son is two and a half and, and it's a, it's a good reminder to slow down and, uh, and not race through things because you literally cannot, but um, <laughs> just fair warning. <laughs> Well, you know, what's funny about this. too. So like you and I are talking, I don't think I'm giving away. I'm looking at your website. And I'm looking at the analytics on the Hampton Roads website right now. So far in April, there have been 109 consent form submissions Yeah. on your site. There's been another 20-something earn form submissions. But you're, you're getting medical history form submissions, careers, comfort kit agreement form submissions. But the consent form is a big form. Yeah. And it's... but. And someone could fill it out from their freaking phone or their tablet. Why would, you know, what would you, I'll say this. I, there's a joke amongst my uh, in-laws and my wife. There's like two pens in this house. We don't have paper. <laughs> and, and I remember years ago, I was fresh out of college. I was, I was like the head of analytics and digital for lasvegas.com. And my boss Kevin, he's this amazing guy and he's just old school Las Vegas, been marketing the city for years. And, I was there like a month and he walks into my, my office and he's like, Hey, quick question for you. And then he paused and he like looked down. He was like, 
are you a psychopath? I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he said, uh, there's literally your desk is completely empty other than a computer. I said, sorry, man. I'm just like a minimalist. So he, he says, you got a pen? I said, I don't. He opens my top drawer. It's empty. He says, okay, now you're freaking me out. Like what's wrong with you? I said, what would I need a pen for? I'm the literal, I do the digital analytics here. I'm never, I said, I work in Excel and Google Sheets and Adobe Omniture for you, man. I'm never going to write something down for you. Why do I need a pen? You don't need me to sign anything. And he just cracked, he like shook his head and walked away. He's like, free. But like, you know, I always think, you know, if someone had these forms, what are you doing with them? Who is yeah. like, if you have these folders everywhere, who's like, oh, the green bombs are here. Can someone go, you know, there's 10,000 folders on the wall. It's like, are they really going through the G's to find me? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard, but there's still vet hospitals that, that have that out there. And that really weirds me out. Yeah. I know <laughs> it's a whole different mindset and families certainly appreciate filling those things out ahead of time so that, that they can really just focus on the experience and, and be in the moment when, when we're there. Oh, I just can't imagine being there at that moment and going through some of the, these things that are on the forms on your site. You know, it's yeah. like the aftercare consent. Like, I don't want to sit there and like say, please select an arrangement. You yeah. know, I'll take and handle full responsibility or I wish Hampton Roads would do it for me or I want a separate cremation. It's like, I don't want to be sitting there staring at my pet and making those decisions. And I, yeah. I, and I would prefer that that's done so far in advance so that I'm spending those that last 30 to 60 minutes, you know, that which I, as I'm talking about this, I have like a pit in my stomach. Seriously. <laughs> but like, you know, I want to spend those minutes like saying goodbye and really being present, yeah. not like, you know, shaking, filling out a form on a piece of paper. So yeah, I always just, I always find that really interesting. And Shereen and I talked about that a lot too. And I mean, and, and same thing on her website, her uh, euthanasia form is like, one of the largest forms in the history of humankind. And it's, I mean, it, and there's like so many conditional formats on it. It goes like yeah. 70 questions deep, but she gets everything. But could you imagine doing that at the time? Yeah. So, you know, and like I said, I think client expectations when I'm just taking my vet to, or my pet to the vet for a wellness exam or what I did last weekend, it's like, Hey, new vet, I'm going to bring Sophie and Baxter down. I would like to do a full senior blood panel, which we did. I said, full exams, dental exams. Let's do our side appoint shots. I mean, I, I went in, it was a thousand bucks. It was our first visit. I'm like, I'm literally, as I've said, I'm every vet's dream. I'm like, okay, <laughs> here's my two dogs. I want everything here. Do whatever you want. Any supplements you think I need, don't ask me about it. Just add them. Oh, this is yeah. the food we need. Can you get us on a subscription? And they were probably like, oh my God, this is a jackpot. This guy <laughs> just showed up one day. But, you know, I think there's different expectations for that versus, you know, come to my house and I, and I expect every single thing to be perfect to the minute. And I assume that mo many people have built up that final 30 minutes in their head and oh, it's almost yeah. never, it, is it ever like they imagined? I think sometimes, but my, my favorite is, you know, they, they'll, they'll get the bed out and put it in the middle of the room where it, it normally never is, or, or they'll, you know, make a spot on the, the bed or the couch and, you know, the, the pet never, never wants to be in that spot. <laughs> so it, it's just uh, trying to, to, to get them to let that go and, and just let, you know, fluffy settle wherever she's most comfortable and, and we go to her and, so there's lots of little things, little things like that, that I think too, it depends on, on what people have experienced before. I mean, some folks have, have told me horrifying stories of, of euthanasias in the past, or they've never experienced it before. And they have dreamt up 
horrible scenarios of of what's going to happen and and what the the actual process looks like and so it, it's just calming a lot of those fears and and talking them through the moment and and trying to let go of those so they can just focus on the the good memories and and the love that they share how has business been for you through the pandemic crazy <laughs> <laughs> it's been busier you know when when most clinics shut down and and were not allowing clients inside because they were curbside, most of the the practices around here did not have an exception for euthanasia, and so we did have a lot of clinics that were were referring to us and and we tried to stay outside as as much as we could until it started to be real cold here, and those families were so grateful that that they didn't have to do a a curbside drop off for that final visit. I mean, can you imagine? No. I mean, I would just, I don't know what I would do, but yeah, it would just, it would never happen. I, you know, what's weird. I never thought of that. That is so interesting to hear you say that. I never thought of that part of this. Yeah. So some clinics, some clinics would let one person in, some maybe would let two. That's the most I, I had heard. And, and of course it depends on, you know, clinic size and, and how big that room was, but yeah, not not being there is certainly a, a deal breaker for so many families. And so we we really were in a, a tough spot. I mean, it's hard to know what the right thing to do is. Um, so we just we tried to stay as as safe as we we could for, you know, our staff. I was I was pregnant almost during the whole pandemic. And so just tried to stay as, as safe as we can for, for our families and and for for our staff, but but still, you know, give families an option. You know what's funny too is when I asked how business has been, you like pause and you're like crazy. And it's so <laughs> funny. Every vet I talk to, I'm like, how's business? And they're like, it's crazy. This sucks. Help. <sighs> and it's and it's like, so Whisker Cloud grew 276% in 2020. Wow. Which if you so this was this was a series of events. It's Lauren and I in Vegas on Valentine's Day weekend. I had a few people from Whisker Cloud there and we threw some events and and we're in Vegas. Everything's great. And we had this weirdly quiet month. And then I said, well, whatever, we're, still, <laughs> we're growing. We on March 1st, we signed the lease on this huge, new, amazing office in a really beautiful part of Newport Beach. On March 1st, I signed that agreement. Literally, as I found out uh, two weeks later, it had included an act of God clause, <laughs> which I'd never heard, meaning literally if uh, there is an act of God, you still pay rent on this or we'll sue you for everything. So yeah. March 13th, we get sent home. We never went back and yeah. we worked remote. I have more employees now that I have not met than employees I've met in person, wow. which is really nuts. But yeah. it's, you know, for me, it's like, we grew and we grew and we grew. And, you know, within, within a week of the pandemic, we had put together like all of these like curbside check-in forms and yeah. so many different COVID things we were able to do for people that, you know, in a perfect world, you go back and you say, man, I wish we could have charged for that, but we never would have during the pandemic. But, you know, it's like when I look at the growth of last year, I think I got to mentally, it sounds horrible because a lot of people died and a lot of businesses went out of business, but like sure. at my house, I was able to sort of block out COVID because a, I was literally never leaving. We played it really yeah. safe. And B, I just sat here and worked 16, 18 hours a day, every day. And our team put in a lot of hours and we grew and it's like, wow, we exploded. But for me, I'm not like, Oh, this is crazy. I hate it. I was like, this is, we're crazy. Hell yeah. Let's keep yeah. pushing it. And it's so interesting where I have not met a single veterinary professional, whether I work with them or not friends or not, that hasn't been like exhausted by the growth. Yeah. 
Well, I think I think it's hard. I mean, we're we have four veterinarians right now, including myself, and and I need one to two more, and I I just can't find them. If they're out there, if they're listening to this podcast, please call me. And so I I think it's just we've we've grown and grown, and and we can't uh, we can't keep up, and so we try to do it all, and and it is it's exhausting. I hear that all the time. Every person comes on here and says this. So I'm going to ask everyone out there listening. How many people graduate from veterinary school of all the schools every year? Is it thousands? Where are they going? What are there now? I don't, I haven't looked, but maybe 15 schools in the U.S., classes of an average of 100 or 110. So, you know, a couple thousand each year. I don't know. I mean, I think it's, you know, part of it probably pandemic and, and otherwise. I mean, I think I heard a statistic a while back that you know, a lot of graduates five years out are, are part-time or, or less because it's just so hard to keep up. And, and for, you know, for me, I have two little ones now it's, it's super hard to keep up. And so I don't know if, if practices are, are losing folks, you know, keeping kids at home and, and trying to, to do that balancing act. But I, I think it's just, uh, we're not, uh, we're not, we're not keeping them in, uh, in the practice as much as I think we used to. Yep. We just talked about that on a recent episode that's not live yet, but that's something we talked about. It's like, there's a lot of vets out there realizing like I could do relief work two to three days a week yeah. and it pays the same as being just a full-time vet five, six days a week and like being put through hell. And yeah, God, this, this industry is so interesting to me. And I love how like every episode people are like, okay, weirdo, you've been working <laughs> with these people for five years. And like, then I talk to people, I'm like, wow, okay, everyone feels this. There is no differences ever, man. Yeah. It's just, it's like, and again, you know, I'm part of that weird, I mean, trust me, I, I get really burnt out a lot of the time. I'm like, you know, and sometimes when I always tell everyone on our support team, I say, just if anyone's ever rude, send me the email. I'm not going to like call them and yell. I just want to know what's happening. I want to know what's yeah. going on in everyone's lives. And you know, I, I see these emails to our team sometimes they are so rude. And I'm like, I just want to email and be like, can you shut up? Be yeah. nice, weirdo. We do nothing but help you. But I assume I can't imagine, like I said, seeing the seeing the reviews that come in. Obviously, like we help hospitals get, you know, messages through their site. We don't look at them. So we don't see. I mean, if you said to me right now, hey, did this person email on this date? Like we can pull up a database and put some code in and go look. Yeah, that person emailed on this date at this time. This is what they said. But we don't see every email that comes through. But mm -hmm. I hear the horror stories of, you know, everyone, people showing up for the wrong appointment time. Mm -hmm. Someone was recently telling me that someone came in for a, like just showed up and we're like, can you just clip my dog's nails? And there's like, so, so sorry. We're so busy. We just can't right now. And I guess the woman like stood out front while they're doing groups. <laughs> I screamed and was like, you can't just make an exception and just clip my dog's effing nails right now. And it's like, where yeah. was that? Where is that ever? Okay. They're lucky. I don't own that hospital. Cause that wouldn't, yeah. have been, that wouldn't have gone well for that person. I would have been like, uh, you're gone for good. And you got 10 seconds to leave. Otherwise we'll call in the cops and you, you can go scream somewhere else. You're not going to yeah. scream here, but yeah, I mean the people on the front lines, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't get it. This is, uh, it's weird. Yeah. And we get that less. So obviously, but grief does does strange things to folks too, and so that there are certainly some some different scenarios that that we just try to 
keep an open mind about because we know they're they're in maybe that anger stage. But um, we do. I mean, I, we say it all the time. You know, we get the the feeling that that families are out there thinking, you know, oh, she's just sitting by the pool waiting for somebody to to call her and like, you know, back to your your superhero, like activate that that bat signal and uh, <laughs> and come on out when in reality we are, you know, hauling butt all over town all day long. And, and when you call at the last minute, it will do our very best. But, you know, we can only be one place at a time. So I love that you just said that literally last night at like 9 p.m. I get an email from a vet. I'm buds with him and he emails me and he says, I didn't want to bug the support team. This is a really quick thing. Can you swap out this picture before tomorrow? It's like 9 PM. Can you swap <laughs> out? It's like, yeah, it's like as if I'm just like on the couch, just like with my laptop open, just yeah. like, does anyone need anything? I'm just kind of here waiting. If, if you're around and you need a quick photo change, no, you know, it's like, I know if I yeah. ever need to change things on my Verizon phone plan, I would never call Verizon support. I just email you know, I just email the CEO of Verizon and say, hey, I don't exactly. want to support team. Man, I need to add more minutes. I want to do the unlimited plan with my wife and I. Can you make that switch? Thanks. Let me know when it's done. I'd like to have this first thing in the morning. Yes. Like, yeah. That's, <laughs> okay. So let's talk about a lot of people out there listening to this. There's a lot. We have thousands of subscribers. I jokingly tell everyone there's millions. I don't even think there are <laughs> millions of it. But yeah, tens of millions of people out there. Sure who have been hearing you talk about IAAHPC. How do they get involved? How do they join? What is, you know, let's say someone heard this and was inspired. What do they need to do? Sure. So we have a fabulous website, IAHPC.org, run by WhiskerCloud, that should have all that information. So really, yeah, the first step is is joining the organization. We've we've worked to keep it really affordable. We have tons of resources. Our our past conferences, there are hundreds of hours of free webinars and you know, I see in in the Facebook groups all the time, you know, I'm I'm getting burnt out. I want to start my own home euthanasia practice that you know, tends to be a a starting point for folks. I think it's easy to, to draw the line, you know, what type of services you offer when you say, I'm just going to do home euthanasia, but have no idea where to get started. And, and I always point them to IHPC.org because once you join, there is just so much information. We have obviously the conference, we have a program called business circles where you meet monthly with a group of kind of eight to 10 people and, and just troubleshoot you know, anything. Where are you ordering your controlled substances from? How do you store them? What are you marketing to local clinics? How are you marketing to families? Just a a ton of really good information from from people out there doing this and can share and and swap stories and and best practices. You know, it's I love hearing you talk about the two because, you know, this is no different if you run a vet hospital or if you're me. I mean, I I run a tech organization, I spend six figures a year on software to make Whisker Cloud run. And when I see six figures, unfortunately, the first number is not a one or a two. It's very, (laughs) it's very expensive to run Whisker Cloud. And, and, you know, it's like, 
like I said, we're switching phone systems right now and everyone's like, didn't we just do this? I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't integrate as well as like others will. And they're like, you're a psychopath. I'm like, well, yeah. the other one's a little more expensive, but how much time is being wasted? Right. So what did I do? I went into, I'm in some of these groups that I also pay to be part of that are basically for software company owners and C-level people to talk through, hey, what's everyone using for internal communication? Are you guys using Slack or Microsoft Teams? What's everyone using to power this? What cloud servers are you using? We're in the middle of building a data warehouse now and it's like, I asked 20 different people in this group, what is everyone using? And it's been really valuable because all of a sudden, four people all mention the same company. I'm like, I've never even heard of that. And the four yeah. of you were swearing by it. So yeah, and I even what you said, I love what you said about like where to order your controlled substances. I, I guarantee you when someone's starting their own at home business, it's probably very weird. It's like, okay, so I'm at home and I need to order this stuff. Where would I store it? I yeah. wouldn't know that. I literally wouldn't know where to store store it, what temperature to store it at. So I think talking to experts is really valuable. Yeah, it's, it's been really great. And, and I think, you know, we're at the, the point in the, the field of hospice and palliative care and, and home euthanasia that there are tons of practices out there. And I guarantee you 95 plus percent of them are hiring. And so I think we're at the point where you don't have to start from the ground up. There are tons of practices that are up and running and, and looking for for folks with really flexible schedules. And, and a lot of them are, are sort of you pick your days and, and you pick your shifts. And, and so it, it can be a nice, um, a nice alternative to, to traditional practice, it, it has to be the right fit, where it's obviously not, not the, the field for everyone, you have to really love that, that whole family interaction and, and do that well. But but there are tons of resources out there and, and tons of people um, who've been doing this for 10 plus years. Wow. Yeah. If you're out there listening, IAAHPC.org, you can join through the site. You can send them a message through the site. There's resources there. You can, you know, you can see Tyler and the team on their team page. You can read about their committees. They have a great FAQ page. I mean, this is what you want. You want to come here, whether you're a pet, you know, there's, there's a spot for pet parents there as well, but really for pet professionals, it's, Literally on your FAQ page, what is the first step when starting hospice care or what's included in a hospice plan? I mean, these are things that people should come and read and kind of understand as they're starting a business. So go to the site. They have links to their Facebook and Instagram there. Check it out. And, you know, and like I said, it's really easy to get a hold of them. They've got contact forms all over the site, so they make it really easy. Yeah. And our conference this year is in Tampa in September, and it's it's always really wonderful. It's Compared to other conferences, a very small conference, we usually usually have 300 to 400. It's going to be smaller this year because of our safety plans and, and everything else. But it's just a really great weekend to dive into some of this. And, and it's uh, an energizing weekend to, to get inspired and, and really is a, a warm, fuzzy, fuzzy experience and, and everybody you know, in the organization is, is so wonderful and, and kind. And it really does. Uh, it really does have a lot of great information and a great experience. And this is the back to the future conference. Yeah. So we sort of decided that we're, we're getting back to, to our normal, but that's going to be a new normal. And, and, it, you know, some of the changes this year are, are going to stick with us well, well into the future and, and how we do things. And so we just want to explore that a little bit. Roads. Where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
Well, Tyler, I'm so thankful that you came on and chatted with me and gave all this great information and listened to me whine about saying (laughs) goodbye to my pets and hopefully eight to 12 years, although I know that's not reasonable. But yeah, everyone, please check out IAAHPC.org. You notice I'm saying it. I'm trying to like really (laughs) pronounce this letter. And yeah, like I said, everyone, we'll we'll put notes in the show link so you can find them and, and learn more. And, you know, make sure you subscribe and share the Whisker Talks podcast. And Tyler, thank you so much. This was amazing. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you. I had fun. All right. Have a great day, everyone.